0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. ...warmed up by now. This is good. Well, listen, thanks so much for being here. It really is a blessing for us to be able to get together, spend time together. Listen, I should have done something uh, a long time ago, and that is if you are recently new here in this church, please feel free. Uh, between services to make your way up and, and see me. I know it might be a little inconvenient, but I sure would love to meet you and get to know you, know your name. And so I just hang around up here. This kind of, this is where I sleep. You know, I all through this, I sleep at this church. So this is a comfortable home for me. And so you guys can uh, come and meet us. And by the way, keep your eyes open. We're having a, a coming event, it's called Meet the Pastors. And so we want to invite you to that. It, I think it's gonna be happening in four to six weeks. Uh, come to that uh, because that's a great place for us to get uh, acquainted with each other and, and hang out with each other. I love it. I love it. Because in the last few months, uh, we've been blessed. So many people are coming back on campus now. Uh, we really appreciate that. That's a blessing. And for those that are online, you guys are great people. We love the fact that you're visiting and, and you're with us online. My mom and dad are online. They can't always get here. So can I do, this? hey, mom and dad. So I thank, hey, just say hi. Uh, I did that last service, and my mom sent me a picture of them watching. My dad's sleeping. Man, he's just sleeping. (laughs) I don't know. Man, he deserves to sleep. The guy's almost 92, so he deserves to sleep. Uh, Another group that watches us out of the country is the Albanian church. So, hey, Gazur, uh, you guys, it's good to have you online, and uh, a lot of pastors tune in. It's their evening, so... Uh, It's just great. It's so good to come and hang out together. One other request before I move on. Uh, Next week, uh, next Sunday, this time, we are going to take a moment. Annette and I are going to take some time. Uh, By the way, she's in the nursery right now working with the kids. But we're going to take some time and share with you uh, the words that God has put on our heart for this church going into 2023. And so we want to do that. And I'm going to ask that you just take time this week. Be mindful of that. Uh, It's always good to prepare when you know that the the Lord has a word for you. I think most of the time the words that we share with you are affirming. Uh, They might not even be brand new. You've You've heard these words. You've heard something God's speaking to your heart. And if that's what happens, I am blessed that you guys are affirmed by what you hear and uh, what you see during our weekend services. So uh, thanks for doing that, and uh, I think it's going to be a good time next week. It'll be a good time this week. And the way we're going to start off is with some prayer. It's a good way to do it. Bow your heads with me. Father, we want to thank you today uh, for your generosity in our lives and the way that you do care for us, the, the way that you guide us and lead us. Uh, we just really don't even understand and comprehend the, the things that you have in store for us, the plans that you have for your people. So we're so thankful for that today, and make your word alive, in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, Annette and I took a trip to Albania. It was actually our first time together. I'd been there a few times before, but we went together, and uh, we had a great time. We went to visit for the folks that you guys know, the Masons and Sokol and his wife, and spent time with a lot of uh, four-square Albanian pastors, Balkan pastors, that uh, are in ministry. They're serving over there. We just get together. You guys sponsor them. You love them. You send them gifts. It's just, it's incredible. Uh, But that country is still a developing nation. It's kind of a wild west at times. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I really wanted Annette to see the beauty of the country and the people, and we did that. We rented a car, and we just started driving around Albania, from north to south, we were going every dif- different direction. You have to remember, the infrastructures aren't that that good. They're not that refined. And so some of the places we were going, we, we had question, was this a goat path or a car path? We weren't sure. And one of those times happened when we were leaving southern Albania. We needed to get to northern Albania and we had it on our GPS to where we were going. We had the map. We had everything we need. Just got prepared to go. And, uh, and we headed out, and we followed the little blue line that you all follow in the GPS. And pretty soon, it just didn't feel right. Uh, we kept going and going, and the more we went, the further we went, the, the trail just got horrible. And it was a trail start. You could see it was eroding. There was probably about a two thousand foot drop off to one side. You know, and Nat and I are thinking, this is really sketch. This is not. I don't know where we are, what's going on. And I kept saying to her, are you, are we on the blue line? Are we on the blue line? It's a good way to strengthen your marriage, by the way. Have your (laughs) wife be the navigator and you be the guy driving the car. But uh, I said, I don't, I don't have an idea where we're at all together. And honestly, the best thing we could do was laugh, just kind of laugh. We didn't know where we were. And I think that laugh was probably covering some anxiety, you know, thinking, I don't know what's out here. I don't know who's out here. I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, the further we drove, we, we got into a little spot, and I looked down, and I noticed we had some cell service, a miracle. And so I call my friend, uh, Sean Mason, and I said, Sean, uh, I, I don't know where we are. We're supposed to be coming your way. I think we're lost. And he said, well, did you, did you drive by a canal of water? And I said, No. He goes, did you did you drive by, by a church? And I said, no. <laughs> and he starts yelling, turn around, turn around, go back, go back. Well, that just makes your blood pressure go up. And so we uh, turned around. It took us about 10 minutes because it was so <laughs> narrow to turn around. And, uh, and we headed back. And I, I thought to myself, you know, you can really get anxious uh, when you don't know your way. I mean, when you have a sense of even being lost and you're not sure where you are and What's what's going on around you? They're just things that go on in your mind. Uh, It's scary. It's confusing. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, where you felt like I don't have a clue where I'm at, and I'm not comfortable. Uh, Well, today we're going to meet a few folks. We already have met them before. We're going to continue. We're going to meet some people that just felt the same way. They just felt lost. They weren't they weren't really sure where they were headed. What was going to happen? What was ahead of them? And we find this story in John chapter 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14. And uh, what we're doing is we're still spending time with Jesus and his intimate disciples in the upper room. So they're still in the upper room. They're still what we call involved in the Last Supper. There's conversations happening. But one thing you'll notice in the conversation that we read about today is it escalates. There's an intensity that comes to this conversation. And the intensity is because Jesus starts to reveal to them things that were going to be happening. One of the things he says is he says, there's a betrayer among you. Uh, and Judas was that betrayer. And he talks about that. And he says, and there's going to be a guy here that denies me. And that made Peter nervous. And, and he starts talking. And then, and then he says this. And this is probably the one that caught him. He says, and I'm going to die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lay down my life. I'm going to die. So you've spent three and a half years with this really good friend, your Lord, your Messiah, your Savior, and he starts to unpack all of this stuff in, in an upper room. Now, that can be scary. There's some anxiety that comes. This is for the disciples. It really is a spiritual and emotional overload. The disciples were having a hard time getting their head around it, and there's this collective Uh, a collective meltdown in the room Uh, you know how you know there's a a meltdown is a lot of questions start getting asked it's kind of like your kids in the back seat of the car when they're not sure where you are where are we going when are we going to be there why aren't we there yet i mean all of those questions the disciples are really doing the same thing they're saying well you're talking about a betrayer a a, a denier is that me lord is that me is that me is that me uh lord why can't we go where you're going you say you're going somewhere where is it where are you going and so you see this bit of a, a, a of a frenzy where there's this imploding happening, and they're they're pretty they're pretty confused. And what we pay attention to in this in this narrative in this gospel story is we pay attention to the way Jesus calmed their spirit, the way Jesus interjects what they need to hear. So imagine yourself lost. Imagine yourself, uh, you know, without any bearing, without a GPS, a spiritual emotional GPS. And what would you want to hear from Jesus? What would be the things that you want to, would want to hear him say? Well, he says this to those disciples, and I'm glad he starts this way. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Good way to start. Uh, he's saying that because their hearts are troubled. They're confused. He says this, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. So if you're going to bring comfort, the first thing you say is don't be afraid. The second thing you're going to tell people is this is where we're going. And, and he's talking about uh, going and residing with, with him for eternity. So they're not all catching on to that right away, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you have a home. You have a place that brings rest to the soul, a certain level of security. So he's he's calming this group down. But I want you to notice something here in this passage: the simple truth that Jesus gives. Actually, uh, they they want to complicate it. The disciples do. There's there's confused disciples in the room, and so Jesus opens it up for a question and answer. It's like a Q and A session here. He's saying, "Okay, what's on your mind?" Well. Thomas is the first one that stumbles into this. Thomas, when you read this, I actually think the way this is all phrased, that he actually interrupts Jesus. He can't hold it any longer. He's just saying, what what are you talking about?" And this is what he says. He says, "Thomas said, "Lord, we don't know where you're going. You keep telling us we're going somewhere. We don't know. So how can we know the way? I love Thomas. I love his honesty. I really do. He's just being really honest here. He's saying, I'm, I'm a bit nervous, Lord. I'm, I'm concerned. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you are going. Now, can you just picture that group talking with each other? I, I mean, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> the other disciples listening to Jesus, and they might not have had a clue either. But, you know, we've been in rooms like that where we don't know what's going on, and we just nod our head like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking there's some disciples going, yes, Jesus. Yes, amen. Amen, brother Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Amen. They have no clue. They do not know what's being said, but they're not going to betray their ignorance. Thomas does. Thomas is bold, and I'm thankful for Thomas because this is probably what I would be thinking. Thomas is is looking around the room going, "Wait a minute. I don't get it. Why why are you guys What are you You don't get it either, man." And you're shaking your head, "Yes. You don't know either." And he's he's just like this cryptic talk. He's saying, "What do you guys this isn't making sense to me. I have no idea. Lord, where are you going? Thomas just breaks this whole thing up. I'm thinking that might have broken the ice a little bit. So when you're, when you're confused like he is, and he was, by what's going on around you, by life's circumstances, you, you, you do a few things. And one of the things that can happen is you can become preoccupied with emotion, kind of the way you feel. Because you don't know what to hold on to. So the thing you hold on to is is what I feel. I mean, I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling afraid. And that takes paramount, that's a paramount feeling in your life. And you're just kind of trying to figure out. You're trying to sort that out. But when we focus more on the way that we feel, we're prone to some serious distractions. And we've seen that in our own lives. I know when I focus more on myself and less on God, there's just more opportunity to be distracted from the main thing, uh, from staying on course. And you can feel that happening here in this conversation because my feelings usually have more to do with my opinion than it really has to do with reality. And, And that always leads to a spiritual crisis. The spiritual crisis is engulfing these gentlemen right here, these men and women in the room, And during times like these, it's important for us to do something. It's important for us to really be honest and clarify where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's really what Thomas is doing here. In times of confusion, I think it's important for me to go back, take inventory, and say, Lord, there are a few things that I'm very certain of here. Go back and hold on to the certainty of God's promises. Go back and hold on to the certainty of God's truths. And and there's something that I'll do. I'll I'll say, is God good? Yes. The answer is yes. Even though my life might not reflect that at the time, even though there's some things happening that are concerning, I know God is good all the time. I know he's never failed me. I know he's good to me. He's good to my family. He's good to you. God is a good God. And so when I'm confused, I, I go right there. I say, Lord, I know you're a good God. And the other thing that I want to look at and think about is, Lord, I know you're going to bring me to a place someday I'm going to be with you. There's going to be a time I'm going to be with you. I believe in you. I believe in eternal life. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. Lord, I believe these things, and I'm going to stand firm on these things. And that's where I'm going to stand, Lord. And Jesus does that for these guys. He helps them maneuver through these things, these times of being lost and confused by giving them something that they can hold on to that isn't just the way that they feel. Now listen to the answer Jesus gives Thomas. (laughs) I love this answer because I'm thinking that Thomas just needs it plain and simple. You know, just needs it plain and simple. I need it plain and simple. So Jesus doesn't mince words. He doesn't waste his breath. He looks at Thomas and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bam, that's a mic drop. I mean, that's condensed. That's like, here it is. You want to know what this is all about? This is what it's all about. How powerful is that? I mean, when you are, have lost your spiritual bearings, how powerful is it to hear that? How clear is that? I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. And then oftentimes I, I do wonder uh, if we really believe that, if we really live that out. Do do we believe it as Christians? Do do we believe this? You know, it sounds really, it sounds narrow, sounds very exclusive, it sounds very clear. And i want to say this: it is. It is. And the reason is, is when you're lost, you don't want somebody who's going to wander with you. How would you like to jump on an airplane? And the pilot says, well, we might end up in Houston. I don't know, maybe Atlanta. I don't know where we're going to end up. But hey, you want to go along for the ride? Nope, I do not want to go on for the ride. Jesus steps up and he says, this is where I'm going. And you need to know this. You know, I wasn't a, a great student at math. I have some grandkids, some kids that are good at math. Uh, they didn't get it from me. And uh, they, they're just they're just good with math. And I'm the kind of guy that's when I see a uh, formula math problem I think well are there any like plan B's here is there any can you go color outside the lines I mean yeah it can't just be that answer that can't be the answer Talked to a math teacher one time when I was young she goes, yep that's the answer two plus two is four never changes never will change two plus two is four folks two plus two is four I am the way I am the truth and I am the life that does not change two plus two will always be four Jesus is always our Redeemer. You see, this is the life that we are invited to. This is the life that Jesus is speaking of. He's saying, This is what you need to know. Jesus didn't say, He didn't say, Well, I am a way. I'm one of the ways. Jesus doesn't say, Well, I'll show you the way, or I'll teach you about the way, or I'll point you to the way. No, He says, I am the way. It's very clear. It's very clear when Jesus is pointing the way out. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, that audience that's listening to Jesus declare this is certainly hearing what we've heard. Uh, they're hearing that he's the way. They're hearing he's the truth. They're hearing that he's the life. But with a Jewish listening ear, a Hebrew ear, they hear something else with a statement that Jesus makes. They hear a declaration that started that whole I am the way, the truth, and the life. They hear the phrase, I am. See, that's the phrase that they zero in on. They hear this because they're thinking, wait a minute, this is I am. I know that word. I know where that uh, that came from. And what they would have done is they would have gone back to a place in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where Moses has a conversation with God. And God is 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 instructing him on how to lead the Israelis, the, the the Israeli people, the Israelites. He he says, Moses says, I don't know what I gotta what am I gonna say to them, because they're gonna ask me who says who sent me, who do I tell sent me, who do I tell the 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 people that I'm gonna lead, who do I tell, what, what do I say to them? And this is what it says. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them. Uh, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? And then what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Wow. This is what you're to say to them. I am has sent me to you. This is what they're hearing. They're hearing something declared here. It's a declaration of divinity. It's a declaration that he's God in the flesh. He is saying, I am. And John uses that that phrase six, seven times in his book, I am, I am. See, Jesus is saying here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what is happening is the great I am is in flesh and blood sitting in the room with them. It's Jesus. See, Jesus is self-existent, the eternal one, uncreated God, The only true deliverer, savior. And because Jesus is the great I am, there's no one, no man, no woman, no person, no well-intended person, no religious person, no working person, no person comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There's no wiggle room. You're not going to negotiate your way out of this one. We don't do that. We cannot do that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So what does Jesus do? He clears up any misunderstanding. He, what he does is he clears up any misinterpretation. So any question about who he was, who he is, and who he will be, he answers right there. And this is something for us to stand firm on today. Because there are negotiations going on outside of church and some inside church where they're trying to water this down and say, well, there may be other ways. There aren't other ways. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. That is the way to salvation. It's through Jesus Christ. It's not through science. I love science, but science isn't going to get me to heaven. It's not through math. I kind of like math. It's not going to get me to heaven. None of that is going to get me to heaven. Jesus is the one that gets me to heaven. You see, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So I look at this last supper conversation, maybe you're intrigued as well. I love I love the dialogue. I love to hear cuz their their personalities are reflected here. You see Thomas and his personality. Now the conversation shifts a bit and the spotlight in the next statements made is Philip. So it goes from Thomas to Philip. And remember, there's a lot of things happening here. There's a lot of intensity going on. And what I really want you to see, what I want to talk about, are two things that I see in these next verses. Now, one are some obstacles to knowing God. Jesus is so good to say, here's some obstacles. These are things you need to know about. And then number two is that there are some opportunities for knowing God. So whenever there's obstacles mentioned in God's word, God always responds by saying, and I want to tell you what the opportunities are. I want, to, I want to tell you what it is and what you can do and how you follow me and how you know God. And he does so in verses 7 through 11. Listen to what it says. It says this, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know Don't you know me, Philip? Even after this time, this long time that I've been among you, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this kind of work, his work, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. (laughs) So what happens here is Philip is just saying, hey, show us the way. We just need to know the way. We just need to see it. But you go back to verse 7 with me. Just go back there just for a second because there's an important word used here. Um, And and it's about the obstacles of knowing God. And one of the obstacles of knowing God, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? Just say inaccurate conclusions. Inaccurate conclusions about who God is. I think this is good for us to know. I really do. I think this bolsters our relationship with Jesus Christ and get an accurate picture. In other words, the disciples hadn't totally connected the dots of who Jesus is. See the word know there. In verse 7, John uses... This word four times in, in two places, two verses, in, in verse 7 and verse 9. And what John does, he's, he uses the word know 141 times in his gospel. He loves two words. He loves two words. He repeats two words over and over again. One is no, the other is believe. Because he repeats the word believe 98 times in the gospel. You see, this is his passion for you. His passion for you is that you would know and believe in God that you would know and believe in Jesus, that you would know and believe in his Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. And, and he's saying, Man, if, if I if that can get accomplished, then there are really good things that can happen in our life. So he uses this word know because he wants us to know God. John wants us to know, believe in God. He he uses it. This is his, his passion. And you see, knowing God and knowing Jesus in our lives can come with some, it can come, come with some baggage, some religious baggage. It can come with things that we had preconceived notions, you know, about who God is, the baggage of our, you know, our upbringing, our culture, our customs, our politics, our, our worldview. All of this forms a lens on how we can see God. So here's my point. Who you think God is and who he really is there are times it might not necessarily be the same. That's why we grow. That's why we need to continue to learn. If you think, if we think that our finite minds can capture him while we're on this planet, we, we, we're we sorely disappointed on that one because we're not. We're going to spend eternity discovering who God is. And so we might have a little separation. And Some people might be miles apart on this. I don't know. This is why it's so important. Listen. <clears throat> This is why it's so important to understand God by who he reveals himself to us in scripture. It's what he says about himself. See, Jesus is saying a lot about himself. He's saying, this is who I am. This is who I am in my relationship with the Father. So he's letting us know, but he's telling us. See, we're gonna get off point and maybe even off track. If we're taking our spiritual cues other places, We have to come back to this place and say, Lord, we want to know who you are because of who you say you are, and your word tells me who you are. That's how we draw conclusions. You see, if if we're off that, then there's trouble that comes. See, what's happening a lot today in, in a lot of folks' lives is that we attempt to make God's word fit into our way. We want to take God's word and have God's word endorse my lifestyle. That's a good way to go. So, so the main dish is like my my lifestyle, but I sprinkle it with a little gospel. Sounds real religious. Listen, this isn't this isn't what God's asking from you. You know what He's asking? God does not submit to any of our lifestyles. He does not submit to any of our ways. We submit to His way. So when God's word is premiered, when it is the highest of all calls in our life, that's when our lives get transformed in Jesus' name. It's not the other way around. Well, I think I'm going to take this part of the word and this part of it and just have it justify who I am and what I'm doing. You can't do it. You won't get away with it. There will be a day where we'll be accountable for that. You see, we have to submit to the word of God. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, the word of God doesn't submit, is not obligated to submit to you. Woo, we'd have lots of trouble right there. But here's the problem. We live in a day and an age where our, Specific choices and decisions are what we see as the supreme best for our life. And that's where destruction happens. That's what Adam and Eve thought in the garden. Hey, this fruit looks really good. I think I'm going to eat it. A choice they made. A choice they made because they thought that would be for their best good. Guess what? We're all sinners because of that today. That's where it gets us. So we have to say, Lord, what does your word say? Let me submit to your word. So remember, in this process, what are some of the obstacles? One, inaccurate conclusions about who God is, and Jesus addresses it here. Now, there's another obstacle that's found in in this conversation with Philip, Uh, unnecessary proof. You know, unnecessary proof, verse 8. In other words, I want proof, God. I want proof. If you've done that, Lord. You give me proof, and I'll follow you the rest of my days. You know, I've, I've I, how many times you hear that, Lord? I just need proof, and that's what he says. Philip says it in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. No, it won't because there'll be something else, and there'll be something else, and there'll be something else. You see, there is something to remember about Philip here. I want you to go back to chapter five. Remember, feeding the 5,000, <clears> the first person that. That Jesus actually talks to is Philip, and so they're all the, the people, the crowds are just they're tired, they're hungry. Jesus looks; he has he has he has a empathy for them, and so he calls in he calls in Philip and he says, "Hey, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? You remember that? Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Well, it says here that Jesus knew what he was going to do. It says, it says clearly this is a test. He's testing." He's testing Philip. So what happens? Right away, Philip puts on his math hat. He gets out his calculator. He's checking it all out. I think he might be doing a pretty good job. I don't know, but he's putting it all, and he starts to solve the problem. He's trying to figure this out. So he comes up with the answer. He goes back to Jesus, and he says, well, this really isn't good news. I got to tell you, it's really not good news because you know how much money this is going to take? This is going to take over a half years of some uh, someone's wages to just give them a morsel. I mean, just give them a little bite of bread. And, and, and what's this among so many? I mean, you know, this is, this is him, his math. And that sounds like my math sometimes. I look at the problem and I think, wow, how are we going to figure this out? Let me get this calculator out. I'd, listen, it will blow your calculator up because your spiritual calculator cannot handle what God wants to do for you. He's just going to blow it up on you. And that's what he does. He blows this up. Basically, Philip is saying this. He's saying, show me the money and we can feed more people. I mean, that's my answer. Uh, that's, I'm sticking by it. But that's not the answer. See, the answer was staring him in the face. The answer was Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He was staring Philip right in the face. And that's, that's the Philip that we see here. Philip says, I want to see God. Show me God. You know, it's not a a horrible thing to want to see God. We're going to see God someday. Those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternity we're going to spend with God. We're going to see him face to face. And I look for that because when we go to heaven to be with him, what happens is all of our hopes are fulfilled. All of our longings are fulfilled when we spend eternity with him. It's not yet, though. We're still living by faith. That's what the Bible says. Someday we'll we'll, we'll see by sight. Our eyes will see it. But right now, Philip's being said, "You got to live by God." Jesus is saying, "Philip, you got to live by faith." So there's something else here that I want you to pay attention to because Philip, uh, what's happening here is he's a true Israelite, and and he's he's he still has that strain of being in the wilderness. You know, there's still something in his heart. His desire is to see to have proof that's rooted somewhere. And let me tell you where that proof is. When sometimes we want proof like that. In Philip's case, it could have been rooted in idolatry because that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Remember Moses went up on the mountaintop and the people were getting nervous because they didn't know, they didn't see, they didn't have proof that anything was going on. So what do they do? The people are clamoring for a God. What do they do? They get all their their gold and they put it together and they melt it and they fashion a God, one that they can see and, and one that they can touch. And what does Moses do? He comes down and he, he prophesied, he said, these are, people of idol- these are idolatrous people that they had to always see. They, had to, oh, they made something in a graven image. See, we'll do that. Oftentimes, we'll run to play. Not a golden calf, maybe, but there's idols that we look to. If, if, if we lag in our faith a bit or something difficult happens, what is it that you go hold on to? To have an image of God that visibly represents You know, that's what we want. We want, uh, only if I can see this. Only if this God looks like me and acts like me and is like me. Listen, that would be horrible, honestly. That would be horrible. But here, this is what they're clamoring after. They want a God like them. This is the basis of idolatry. Because God will not be submitted to anything that we say he should be. He is submitted to himself. He is the God of the universe the God of all gods. So what is one of the things that happens when we are in uh, life confusing situations is we want unnecessary proof. I've said it, Lord, I'm in so much trouble right now. Boy, if you show up and prove yourself, I promise I'll follow you the rest of my life. Yeah. (laughs) The Lord says, you know, you need to know me and walk with me by faith. And then there's these finishing remarks here. I want you to look at some opportunities that Jesus gives him for knowing God. I I have a list. I put a little list together that's found in this passage. But these are things that help us know God. One is his presence. I want you to think about that. One is his presence. Verse 9, Jesus says something, I think, with sadness in his voice. To Philip, he says, Philip, don't, don't you, after all the time I've spent with you, all the time you've seen me, don't you, Get it? Here I am. You're seeing me. You're seeing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know it is possible to be in the presence of greatness and not ever know it. Did you know that? These guys are still trying to figure it out. I've I've seen that happen. Um, We took a trip several years ago when we were in Israel. We were there and um, we were in Caiaphas' house. And I told the team, I said, "Hey, walk up the stairs because that's the walk that Jesus walked. He He bled and died for us. And this." This is where he spilt his blood on these 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 stairs, and so we had this kind of journey up the stairs. But uh, when I when I looked up to the top of the the mountain there, the hill, I looked up and I thought, oh my goodness, that's Jack Hayford. I don't know how many know Jack. I thought Jack Hayford's standing up there. See, Jack is a really, and I'm glad that he that I can call him this. He's a good friend. He just passed away, and he he gave us so much. When we talk about charismatic pentecostal theology the guy has blessed us he's given us songs he was a forerunner this guy is an amazing amazing man and i and i looked up and i saw some of our folks walking by and he was saying hi to them. and and i knew some of them really didn't even know him and i, I knew a few did and so i walked up there and he goes hey ron i go hey pastor jack you got to talk to some of these people and he goes yeah he didn't even know they didn't know him he didn't really care But I thought, wow, some people walk right by one of the greatest theologians on the planet and didn't even know it was him. We can be in the presence of greatness at times, and we can miss the moment. If our eyes are down, if we're paying attention to what we feel and what we think, we might miss the moment. And I'm asking you for now and during this season, if there's ever a day we lift our eyes and we look to the hills and... From the hills come our help. Our help is found in the Lord. Can you say amen to that? That you focus on what Jesus wants to speak to you. I want to say this to unbelievers. Any unbelievers listening, you know, if you seek the Lord, he will be found. You might be in desperate straits right now, and and, and you're feeling that, you know, that tugging in your heart, and you know you're not there yet. You know you don't have the answer. I'm just going to say to you, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he will be found. Just seek him. Follow after him. Seek him and invite him to be your Lord and Savior. I think, I think there's something that, that I think all of us need to pay attention to. Keep our eyes up. And the second thing here, another way that we can really know God is his person. By believing in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, some people say, well, I already believe in Jesus. I already believe in God. That's good. That's good. That's really good, and that's who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a, a group of believers. But there's something you might miss here. That, that, that word right there is a present tense word. It means all the time, be doing it now. It means this, keep growing. Keep, keep expanding your faith. Keep challenging yourself to follow Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. He's saying this is about a lifestyle of faith in Jesus Christ to keep seeking him. Keep following him. Follow the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is him. And we say this, keep the main thing, the main thing. It's Jesus Christ. And then there's a third thing. The third opportunity for knowing God is that believing in his word. He, Jesus appeals to what they had heard already. He says, you guys have already heard me. You've heard me in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard me in the discourse of the upper room. You've heard me preach. You've heard me teach. Hold on to those words. Because the Sermon on the Mount and the discourses that he had given bring life. Whenever Jesus spoke, have you noticed? There's always, the Bible always records the crowd's response. It's really interesting. Jesus will do something and the crowd will respond. Sometimes that crowd is ticked off and that's their response. Sometimes when Jesus speaks, it brings comfort. Sometimes it brings joy. Sometimes and all the time it'll bring conviction. So what do I know about that? The word of God is alive. You see, the word of God spoken to you never lets you stay neutral. I'm gonna say that now. So if you get a real word from the Lord, I mean, you know, you're really going, okay, I wanna hear the, it, you, listen, you'll, it'll never be neutral. You'll always be asked to take steps of faith, always. It's not neutral. It, it doesn't. There's nothing about the word of God that is neutral. It's his authority and his word is absolutely alive today. So when you're provoked, By the word of God, you know the word is alive in you. Let the word provoke you. Be open to being provoked by the word. That's how we change. James says we look into a mirror, and that's the word. And that's when we see ourselves for what we are, who we truly are. And then the last thing is this. The fourth and final way opportunity is behold his works. He says that in verse 11. Uh, and that's one way, remember, he says, listen, if you do anything, look at the evidence of the works, look at the healings, look at the miracles, look at all these things that have done I've done here. It's so important that we recognize and we're able to see what is God up to, even in the little things. Did you know there's little miracles going on in your life, but sometimes we don't even see them? I mean, we're, <laughs> we're looking around, maybe we're even looking for that big one, and there's about 10 little ones happening right under your nose. I mean, that's typically the way the Lord works in our lives. And if I, if I pay attention, if I'm sensitive to the guidance of his Holy Spirit, I'll see this. Listen, God isn't just giving you information, but he wants you to see and experience transformation. Sometimes we're just looking for information. Information doesn't get you very far. Transformation gets you into heaven. It's being transformed. Transformed by the power of God's Spirit. It's being transformed by the Word of God that I want to live a life that isn't just full of information. I want to live a life that is fraught with transformation every single day. Lord, transform me. Change me today. And today, let me see those healings. Let me see those salvations. Let me see those people restored. And Lord, we'll do a work. Listen, I want you to know those things are happening right now with you. They're happening. They're happening all... I've heard so many stories in the last week or two about people getting saved, people being healed, people being transformed. It's happening. Have an ear and an eye to hear and see. Don't let this moment, don't let this season go by. Can I tell you what the Lord's up to right now? There are things that over the last few years we may have lost spiritually. We we might have gone back a, a little bit in some areas of our lives. Right now, God's into a rebuild for his kingdom. He's into a rebuild because he is not going to leave you high and dry. So he's going to come along and say, okay, folks, rebuild now. These are the areas my word is pointing out to you, areas of weakness. I want to bring conviction. I want to bring transformation. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Because God wants to do a rebuild in your life today, right now. That's what he's about. Amen? Amen. Why don't you bow your head just for a moment. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Lord, we want to just offer our um, thanks to you and let you know that we, we love you and appreciate you. And we're so grateful that you, um, you've saved us and you've redeemed us. You've given us direction. And you, you've pointed the way for us. By being the way, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by you. And so, Lord, let knowing you be our priority. Let it be our number one effort in life. Let it be where our energy goes. Let it be something we steward well, our lives well, so that we see you and that we know you. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.